much. It is our honor to be here today on Father's Day to uh, share our family and our life with you all. Uh, today we, uh, we have some resources. I'm not sure quite what this is, but, uh, but uh, maybe somebody can explain it to me. Thank you, Bernie. I appreciate that. I knew there had to be an explanation somewhere. It made sense. Uh, in case you didn't know, these are going to be required today, and we will so gladly sell you one for a small offering. And uh, but anyway, we have, uh, you know, Sherry and I, we, uh, our ministry is uh, such, for the last 19 years, we've been committed to be inside the church doing what we can to uh, help, help, help us all, you know. I mean, I'm committed to the church, the church, you know, Jesus saved my soul, but the church saved my life. And... Uh, and taught me all of these things. So we're committed to that, but we're also committed to uh, being outside of the church. So our ministry takes us into places that are not the normal. And I've got just this little video, I don't know if you all have that where you can show it, but it's just 57 seconds long and it shows you some of the places that we're invited to go. So if you got that, we could play that, that'd be great. We're good to go? Oh, there you go. Some of those clips, I know they go by really fast, but uh, Sherry and I and the, and the team just finished uh, our largest prison crusade of the year. Uh, we spent, uh, we did nine events in seven days in the state of Kansas, just an absolutely remarkable time that we call the Transformation Tour, and uh, we stood in front of, of many thousands of men and women and offered to them the hope of transformation. You know, there's, there's 2.3 million people incarcerated in America making it the fourth largest city in our country. You take the entire population of Houston, Texas, that's what it relates to, and they're incarcerated. 97% of those men and women will be released in society at some point. 76% of them will reoffend in the first five years and be reincarcerated. Rehabilitation offers to the inmates a little hope, 24% of hope, but you know, the statistic, this is an old statistic, so it might have changed since then, but the statistic was that if they would just attend a single Bible study while incarcerated, that the recidivism rate would flip from 24% to 76% would not offend. And it's a remarkable thing. And so what we do there is we go to offer them the hope of, of transformation because those of us that are believers in Jesus know that transformation is the reality of God's life. Pastor Ken mentioned it earlier when he said that, you know, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation, a new creature. That word creature or creation there literally means a species that did not previously exist. You see, Jesus didn't come to make us better. He came to make us over. He came to make us new. And so we do that. We're at Sturgis every year. 
We've had the opportunity the last several years to be at Walter Reed Hospital in D.C. with our wounded, some of our, our nation's greatest heroes. And from that, then, I was invited in 2017 to, be, uh, to perform at the Invictus Games, which is an international wounded warrior competition that uh, Prince Harry started. And so we're just honored, and we always keep pushing the envelope. At the end of the service, there'll be an opportunity for you to sow and to give into what we do, and I just wanted you to have a little bit of an idea of what that was. So we have some resources back on the table in the back, and unfortunately, I didn't pack enough. They left it up to me to pack because our assistant, our daughter Amanda, was in Hawaii for two weeks, the dirty rat. And... Uh, but anyway, so I brought some music, some new music that I haven't had here before. New Old Stuff is a collection of hymns and gospel songs. You know, when I came to Jesus back in 1976, the, one of the first things my pastor told me, the first thing he told me was I needed to start tithing. And I said, well, what's that? He goes, well, you take 10% of everything you make and you give it to the Lord. And I'm like, you're crazy, man. It's like, there's no way that's happening. And... Uh, and then the second thing was he came and he said, you got to quit playing that devil music. And so for 20 years, I felt it was more important for me to follow Jesus than play that devil music. And fortunately, I've discovered the truth that there's only two kinds of music. Do you know what they are? Good and bad. And so, uh, so anyway, but this is a, this, these songs are all songs that I that I either played or loved back during that time and some of my other songs, so that's back there. And then also in 2017, we record missions projects. So we send these CDs out to uh, blues radio around the world, and to date, this CD has had on like real radio, I'm not talking about internet radio, airplay in 120 countries around the world. And our goal with these is that we want people to know, okay, this is connected somehow to Jesus, and it's good. Very simple. I mean, if we can start by convincing people that God is good and he has good things for them, that's a huge theological chasm to, 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 you know, to bridge. And so this particular CD, my parents forced me to listen when I was growing up to both kinds of music, country and western. And... Uh, <laughs> And I, you know, it somehow it got inside of my heart. So this album's called This Is Blues Country. So I took a bunch of country songs uh, from the 50s and 60s, Hank Williams, Buck Owens, and the Buckaroos, and uh, a bunch of other country guys, and I redid these albums in a blues rock format. There's some teaching back on the table, a couple of relationship series that Sherry and I taught together. This one's called... Uh, the marriage of your dreams. So if you're struggling in your relationship, this is a great thing for you to have. And there's also one back there that I love because uh, I like saying it to Sherry. It's called, You're Not the Boss of Me. And, uh, and, then, uh, and then Sherry and I wrote a book that we released last year. For those of you that know our story, know that Sherry and I have been married twice to each other. And our first marriage was so bad that uh, uh, one night after we got in a fight that I lost... And three days later, after having reconstructive surgery on my face, um, you don't want to mess with Sherry. I'm just telling you, you know. Whenever we tell that story in women's prisons, Sherry immediately gets a standing ovation. You go, girl. He had that coming. But, uh, but after having surgery, my grandmother came in and saw me, and she said, baby, 
I will give you the money if you just get a divorce. And so the title of the book is Granny Paid for Our Divorce. <laughs> and so it's, we only have a few of these, but, we, but if, you, if, you, if we run out, which we will, uh, that's my fault because I didn't pack enough. But if we run out, uh, you can just go ahead and give us your address and we will, you know, and pay for the book and then we'll ship it tomorrow. We'll have it shipped tomorrow so it'll be in the mail. So it's hardback, full color. It's got pictures. It's got the whole thing. It's easy to read. You can read it easily in a day. And finally, one more thing and then I'll stop. Uh, we have a DVD back on the table called The Little Girl Wins, and it's a DVD of the story that you're about to hear of me and my daughter Jessica telling our story, and um, it's just a very, very incredible thing for our family. So if you don't have Kleenexes or handkerchiefs, this would be a good time to get them. So thank you so much again for being here. Happy Father's Day to all you fellas. You know, be, to me, being a father is like the greatest thing ever. And then being a grandfather is equally as great. Don't be one of those suckers that say, man, if I'd have known grandkids were this good, I would have had them first. You know, it's like, what an insult to your kids. Don't do that, you know. It's equally as great. It's different, but it's equally as great. It's different because you can send them home. You know, you don't have to, don't have to put up with all that stuff all the time. But it's more expensive because grandma is spending some money. You know what I'm saying? Get ready, Holly. Get ready, Ken Kramer. Heather, you know what I'm talking about. <clears throat> but anyway, so being a father is a great thing, because after all, that's God's desire. You know, the theme of the Bible is, and if you don't know this, this will help you when you read your Bible. From Genesis, where Ken left off throughout the entire Bible, that theme is God's desire to be a father with a family. And Jesus came, and he was so radical because he introduced us to our father. And he, he, he suffered persecution because he was so bold enough as to address God as father. And God wants to be a father. And for those of you men that are here today, you know, uh, especially you guys that are putting some years on. I told Ken a story back in his office before we came out. You know, when Sherry and I, we, we were part of a large church. And in 2000, we transitioned and started traveling. So we've been on the road now for 19 years. But... I was somewhat disconnected because I had always had someone over my life. And um, we were visiting with a friend of ours in Asheville, North Carolina, Kirk Bowman, who's a great pastor there. And, uh, and we were talking, and I said, you know, I just don't know what I'm going to do about being connected. And he looked at me, and he said, well, how old are you? And I said, well, uh, I was 46 at the time. I'm 65 now, so you won't have to do the math. And, uh, and he said, you know, he says, I think maybe it's time that you stop looking for a father and start being a father. And that struck my heart. Ken mentioned it before the service that for some of you all, that's a message to you. You know, we live in a culture where age is at a premium discount. We're discounted, we're devalued, and that's not what the Bible says about age, that age is to be honored. And for those of us that have some years on us, the greatest thing that we can do is share our experience with others. And today in this service, you know, church is wonderful. I have no criticism for church. Uh, I think that pastors are some of my heroes that do a very difficult job with a broken model that, did you know that only 5% of pastors actually retire as pastors? And it's because it's just so difficult. And I think that it's time that we change the model. But... Um, 
But I, you know, as men, I think that we need to start sharing what we have with other men and other women, you know, and just be that model, that mentor, and that example. But today, church is going to be a little bit different because uh, we're not going, I'm not going to share a sermon, we're going to share our family with you. And uh, we're going to share some broken, seriously broken parts of our family. You know, my stories are all the same. I mess things up really bad. And Jesus steps in and redeems them. And I'm so grateful for that, that he is our redeemer. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you have given us this great opportunity to to love you, to care for you, to have you speak to us in Lord, to just more than that, just to demonstrate to us the reality of your love plan for us. And Father, I just thank you, Lord, open our ears, open mine and Jessica's heart that we might speak this story in a way that has deep impact on everyone that's hearing it today. And Lord, we just ask that when we leave here, Lord, that the actions that are required from us, we would all do and not just listen to. Make us hearers and make us doers and not just hearers. In Jesus' name, amen. In 2009, I was speaking in a large church in St. Louis, Missouri, and there was a girl in the audience, and she didn't know me, and I didn't know her. But she was so impressed with the service that she began to communicate to her big sister, and she began to tell her about this incredible music and this preacher, and he had, you know, my son Jason was with us, and we told Jason's story, which some of you have heard, and how that he prayed for me when Sherry and I were divorced when he was just a little guy. And she was so impressed that she began to tell her big sister, and after church was over, she called her on the phone, and she began to explain about how powerful this service was and how great it was. And her big sister finally said, well, tell me, tell me who this man is, and I'll look him up on the phone. And she dropped, you know, her little sister said, well, his name is Jimmy Bratcher. She heard her big sister's phone hit the floor. And when she picked it up, finally, she asked her little sister, she said, do you know who this man is to me? And she said, no, I have no idea. And she had never met her father because I am her father. And the shock of that moment when her little sister Jennifer was in that service on Father's Day in 2009 was a reality that started some wheels in motion that bring us to today. Well, that big sister, her name's Jessica, and she's here with me in the service today, and I would like for her to come, and we're going to tell you what happened next in our story. Hey, y'all. Oh, you have a microphone. I know. I got a bunch you of microphones. You got your very own microphone. You're like Mrs. Microphone. Because I'm important. I need two. (laughs) (laughs) So my sister is in this service, and she's listening to the story of a, a little boy who prays for his daddy to come home. And she's texting me. And I knew three things about my dad. I knew he played guitar. I knew he had long curly hair, and I knew that his name was Jimmy Bratcher, and I didn't know anything else. Because when I was nine years old, I asked the question that, uh, unfortunately, a lot of nine-year-old girls ask, who's my daddy? And so I didn't know 
and my mom told me those things, and that was the end of that conversation. Um, four years later, I had another conversation with a friend of mine sitting at a party with a fifth of something in one hand and a cigarette in the other hand, and she said, what would you do if you met your dad? And I said, I'd probably punch him in his face and walk off. Um, just keeping it real, right? I was a very broken little girl. Um, and as my sister explains the story of all of this, and she says, what are you going to do about it? And I said, I'm not doing anything. He hasn't seen fit to be a part of my life all this time. Why would I give him myself? Why would I open myself up to that? I mean, he didn't care enough to call, write, show up. Why would I bother? And what I didn't know is that God had a plan, not only for my hard heart, but had a plan for our family. About a year, not even a year after that, my father-in-law is uh, in hospice with COPD, and he's dying. My grandfather, who was the real father in my growing up years, can't hear me, so when I call, he can't. He can't respond because he just, you know, he's just old. And so I have one of those loud moments with God as my father-in-law is breathing his last. And I asked him, I said, who's going to be my daddy now? You're taking the only ones I have. What kind of a father are you if you're going to take them from me? And I didn't get an answer that day. But about a year later... I got a friend's request on Facebook from Jimmy Bratcher. So Sherry and I were in uh, Christiana, Pennsylvania speaking, and I was getting ready to speak for the last time that weekend, which was my ninth time, and I'm getting ready to walk out of the green room to go into the auditorium, and I hear this voice down inside my heart. It's February 11th, 2000. It's February 13th, 2011. And I hear this voice inside my heart, and the voice says, I'm about to change your life. And so I began to dream of, you know, maybe I'll, like, get a real job or, you know, uh, we'll quit traveling or something, and I'll cut my hair, you know, and be legit. And, uh, and I've tried all that before. It didn't work out real well. But, um, and, you know... We always, our dreams are always so inferior to God's dream because the Bible says that he will take us above and beyond all that we could ask or think. And so I preached the service. We got in the car and started to Philadelphia to the airport, and I get a, an email from Jessica's mother who uh, I hadn't talked to since I was 17 years old in 1971. One night she came to me and she said, I'm pregnant, to which I didn't believe and I totally walked away from that information. And uh, I can make all kinds of excuses for that, but there was no excuse for that. I was a selfish, out of control, drug crazed 17 year old, only concerned with my own selfishness. But I get this email on February 13th, 2011, from Jessica's mother, and it says this. It's overdue that you should meet your daughter and your grandsons. Her name's Jessica. 
You can look her up on Facebook, and she doesn't know about this yet. But obviously, she knew about me because she knew my name and that I had curly hair and played guitar. And so immediately, I sent Jessica a friend's request on Facebook. So I don't know if any of you are NASCAR people. Yeah, see, there's always one. So, so my husband over there is Two a NASCAR this. guy. Like, he is a hardcore Dale Senior, Dale Junior. Like, he's been doing this for a long time. Like, y'all know who you are. Actually, he's a closet Jeff Gordon fan. He's like... <laughs> I'm going to go that way. Y'all can... Right. So, it is the Daytona 500. And if you're not a NASCAR fan, that is the Super Bowl of racing. That is the race of all the races all year long. And he is watching the race. And I get this friend's request... And I said, baby, um, I need you to look at this. And he says, woman, race is on. <laughs> Literally, like, stiff-armed me, like, the whole deal. And, and I said, no, really, baby, this is really important. I need you to look at this. And he looks at the computer because then Facebook wasn't an app on your phone. And, and he said, isn't that your dad? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, what are you going to do? And I said, nothing. I got in the truck, and I drove to the store for I don't know what. I'm not sure how I made it there um, because I was crying so hard that, that I could barely breathe. And I didn't know why or what to do or how to, because this was a place I had never been and never wanted to go. And my mom texts me, and she says, you don't have to do anything with this if you don't want to. And my sister says, you should see what God says. <laughs> Anybody who's been in that spot knows what that feels like. You're like, oh, this is going to hurt. But it didn't hurt as bad as I thought it would. Because what happened at that point is God began to deal with my heart. Because a lot of years ago, I wrapped up all my daddy needs into a box and shut it and tied a beautiful bow on it and locked it up and said never to be opened again. And in the time, there was a time of silence after that came, that friend's request came, and I didn't want to open that box, but God, God invited me to open that box. And during that time of silence, um, I, I can only say that I went through the, some of the greatest grief that I've ever experienced in my life because, and disappointment because I couldn't believe that I had done what I had done to reject one of my own children. I thought I was incapable of that, and I was deceived and lying to myself. And after I sent Jessica that friend's request, the only thing I could do, I'd wake up in the morning, and uh, it was quiet. And, you know, the Bible tells us there are times when our prayers are nothing more than groans. They're, they're so deep that we, we can't formulate words for them. And I'd wake up in the morning, and I'd lay there, and I'd say three words. Oh, God. Jessica, 
And that was the only prayer that I could eke out and it embodied all of my strength and all of my emotions because I, uh, not from my own shame standpoint, but from being a father and knowing the joy of my children and, uh, and missing that with her. And, uh, and so we prayed. And for about three weeks, Jessica was silent. On March 14th, 2011, Sherry and I and the band and our whole crew, we were in Daytona at Bike Week doing concerts. And uh, we'd been there several days. And we just, just had finished our last performance. And we were sitting at Ruby Tuesdays across, right across from the, the race crack, racetrack there in Daytona. And uh, I got an email from Jessica. And the email said basically this. You want to say that? Yeah. You go right ahead. It's your words. So the email said that the woman in me wants to know where you've been and why now. The little girl in me wants to run to you, arms wide open. I dealt with my emotions about you a long time ago because I knew that you would never see me dance. You would never see me graduate, and you would never walk me down the aisle. I'm so glad. And she concluded the email by saying something that resonated with Sherry and I. And uh, she just said, now that you're here, it's not unwanted or unwelcome. And thanks for showing up. And when she said that phrase, thanks for showing up, Sherry and I knew that God was speaking to us because whenever we're asked to describe what we do in ministry or really in life, we always say, well, we have the ministry of showing up. And that's, you know, that's the way it works. Christ in us, where we go, he goes, and where he goes, stuff happens. So everywhere we go, we expect that. But, <clears throat> but the reality of those words in that moment were so impactful to reiterate Jessica's pain and, and the loss and the time that we had missed, but yet redemptive at the same time. So in those three weeks from the time the friend's request came and the time that I sent those emails, God started dealing with me where I was. So we opened up that box and we took out the anger and the abandonment and the pain and the unwanted, unloved, unwelcomed, all of those things that I had taken on as my identity, orphan, like all of those things. Dad happened to be, mom and dad happened to be on the East Coast, I don't remember where they were, and said that they could be to wherever we wanted them to be within a day if we wanted to get together. And my retired Marine Corps husband, security-minded, always on duty. Packing most of the time. <laughs> says to me, you should meet him. Really? I'm still kind of surprised at that because that is so contrary to his nature. And so we picked a restaurant 
in Charlottesville, Virginia, where my husband was working at the time, and we have since dubbed this the loudest restaurant in Virginia. Yes. We could barely hear one another, and we were sitting at a table about this size. And um, so Sherry and I, we, we pull into Charlottesville and find the restaurant. We drive around to the back to the parking lot, and, and here is the largest pickup truck in American history and uh, commonly referred to as Leroy's love truck, the LLT. <laughs> and, uh, and there they are. And, you know, for the last week, Jessica and I have been emailing and texting and no phone calls, no conversations, just email and text, family history, genetics, uh, just all the stories and things that we shared. And, and there she was. And I'd never heard her voice. I'd never seen her smile. I had one picture of her and Leroy. And, um, and I was so anxious to hear her voice. And, you know, I tell people all the time, it's like I don't use words like hi or hello in a greeting because I'm too cool for that, you know. It's like <laughs> I'll do something like, hey, you know, or something. And there, what's up? You know, but hey, that's my that's my word of choice. You'll find I use it all the time. It's all over my songs and books and everything. But and so we get out. Sherry and I pull in, and we're in our former band van that we lovingly, affectionately named the White Pearl. Uh, it was internationally known as a white trash treasure. It's like you pull into a Walmart parking lot. No woman would park near it. There'd be a hundred yards around that van where nobody would park. You know, and. Uh, so we pull into the parking lot and we get out and, and we walk up, you know, and I'm standing in front of Jessica and Leroy, or Sherry's standing in front of Leroy and, and I'm waiting for her first word. And she looks at me and she says, Hey. Somebody got it. Somebody out there was, they told the punchline before it was ready. No, she says, Hey. I'm a hugger. And we wrapped our arms around each other and stood there and wept for probably about 15 or 20 minutes. And we went into the restaurant and sat down and we began to talk and, you know, Sherry and I began to explain to Jessica and Leroy how that we weren't there for anything for ourselves, but that we were there for them. And uh, I told Jessica, I said, you know, I don't, I don't want anything from you, and I don't expect anything from you, but I will. I am going to ask something from you sometime, not demanding anything. And I said, I'm going to ask that at some time that you would forgive me. So I reached across the table, and I looked into his eyes. And I said, we can't change the past, but you're here now, and we're cool. She has some inner hippie. I wonder where she got that. Lord, help me. But tell them about you looking in your heart right before that happened. Yeah, so at that point, right, I had mentioned that God was dealing with me in that box, right? And by the time we get to that parking lot and walk into that restaurant, God has dealt with all of it. And as much as I wanted anger and bitterness and resentment and justice, 
I wanted him to know what he'd done. I wanted him to feel what I felt. Almost 40 years of not having a dad or having one that was really destructive. And I wanted him to feel all of those things and I really longed for it. And every time I started to go there, God said, you don't get this. This isn't what I have for you. This isn't my best for you. This isn't who I have called you to be. And in that place, I had to surrender all of those identities, all of the orphan, abandoned, neglected, forgotten, unloved, unwanted. The list is long. But by the time I was able to stand in front of him and look at him, I knew that not only was I forgiven, but so was he. And that God had replaced all of those things with loved and with chosen, with daughter. And so when I reached across the table and said, we're cool, we really were cool, because it was gone, God said, this is not what I have for you. And he says that I have more than you can ask or imagine. I never dreamed of this. I never dreamed that he could heal my broken heart and every area of my life that was affected by this has changed because he met me right where I was, right where I was hurting the most and said, this is what a good father does. A good father gives good and perfect gifts. A good father restores and renews and reconciles. And that's what you see. As a family, this changed everything about our family. You know, my son who thought he was the firstborn is now the dreaded middle <laughs> child. <laughs> and to this day, he'll whine about it. But it included my entire family and we've heard stories since this happened in our life about situations like ours where not everyone in the family was willing to go there you know I, I know stories of a man that knows he has a daughter but his wife says no and so they are separated but Every character in our story from Jessica's mother to Leroy to Jessica to the four boys and most of all to my wife Sherry are the heroes of the story because it wasn't just about me being acceptance of this, of this change in our life. It was about all of them. And since Sherry's here, I want her to come and just share a little bit about her story and how this affected her. You got your own microphone too? Everybody's got microphones. All God's children got microphones. Because we're important. I'm going to come over in between you because you're all over. Yeah, it's okay. Hey, everybody. <laughs> well, you know what? I was sitting here thinking about this, and, you know, we have a heavenly father in which there's no dysfunction in. Isn't that wonderful to think about? But you know, we as humans all have dysfunction. Look at your neighbor and say, I have dysfunction. (laughs) 
I just say. Y'all are enjoying that way too much. I know. I know. That's a lot <laughs> going on over there. But, you know, um, the thing is, I had a great father, and he loved me. I always felt safe with him. And for years, that has gone miles with me. He wasn't perfect, but I knew he loved me, and I felt safe with him. And so when I met my Heavenly Father, it just made sense. Well, Jimmy and I, as you heard earlier, we had a really rough start. So there were times in our life that it would not have been safe to bring Jessica into that, in which God knows timing better than all of us. And so, you know, when it came time for this to happen, one of the things that Jessica asked Jimmy before we ever met was she said, does your wife know about me when we were driving up to meet her, her and Leroy? And do your kids know? Or is this going to be a one-time thing? And, of course, we knew because uh, I told Jimmy on the way there, you know, again, early on, Jimmy and I were crazy before we met Jesus. Watch and it. so we were crazy. And uh, Read the book. He was Poster crazy. child. <laughs> I always say it. I always say it like this: Before we met, he was crazy over there, and I was crazy over there, and then we brought our crazies together. So that's what happened. But anyway, so um, when we got ready to go up there, she wanted to know if I knew, and I told Jimmy on the way there. I said, you know, um, to me, we've always had such a great family since Jesus. We get to do what most people only dream of doing. We have great relationship. We love people. We get to minister the gospel to people, uh, bring the good news. And I said, but to me, there's always been something missing. And I said, Jessica, Leroy, and the boys are it. And my daughter, Amanda, was at home, and she had no idea this was going on. She's our secretary, so we had to tell her on the phone that this was happening so she wouldn't read an email and go, what? <laughs> you know. And then her and my son, Jason, got together, and both of them had comments such as Amanda said, um, the very same thing I said. She said, you know, to me, something's always been missing. Isn't that precious? How Jesus, you know, we always forget the power of the Holy Spirit in action because even though we cry out and we pray for things, he can accomplish more in one instant than we can in a lifetime. And so he was interested in, uh, interested in all this. And when we uh, finally got to meet, you know, her and Jimmy were standing outside this restaurant. Oh, and my son said, you know, well, you know all those crazy stories you told us about yourselves? And we said, yeah. And he said, well, I'm surprised it didn't happen before now. <laughs> so, but we were standing outside the restaurant and her and and Jimmy are hugging, and Leroy and I are standing there looking at each other like, well, what do we do? And so I said, I bought you a present. <laughs> so I, I gave him a T-shirt from NASCAR, and uh, I had bought Jessica a present and gave it to her later. But I tell you, the cool thing, we went in the restaurant, sat there for a long time. It was extremely loud, couldn't really, you know, really talk. So Leroy says, can we go somewhere where we can just visit? And we must have spent, what, three hours 
uh, talking at the hotel in a room all by ourselves. And she was shocked because Leroy doesn't open up with anybody. And it was instantaneous. And Leroy has become my boy, too. And when we met, I said, I know you have a mother, and I won't ever try to take that place. But I sure love you like my own and her like my own. And uh, he said, well, I'll call you Timo for technical mom. (laughs) And so, but I just want to say this. You know, everything in the kingdom starts with forgiveness. You know, us getting forgiveness from Jesus. You know, us forgiving ourselves. Us forgiving others. And God always has redemption in mind, restoration. And I'll say this, and then I'll shut up so they can go on, but... You know, I know in our society that there is a lot of dysfunction about uh, abuse. And so you always have to be careful with situations like that and be wise, uh, especially if there's sexual abuse or anything like physical abuse, and be wise. But forgiveness has more to do with your heart than it does the people that you're around. But what happens is, is if your heart is still full of unforgiveness then you filter everything in your life through that injury. And so if you don't get that out, then you can't see clearly, you can't relate clearly. And then when you release things, it doesn't mean necessarily you just give your whole family, you know, over. Jessica has horror horror stories about friends that invited family members and it didn't work out. But we just want you to know this, that God is so for you, it is ridiculous. And forgiveness is where it starts. It's being able to get that out so you can enjoy your life and see good days and multiply your family. And thanks for letting me share. Isn't she the best? You just like her because she gives you shoes and purses. This. That's what these shoes and purses, Mother's Day, birthday, Christmas. Every girl needs a mom like that. So we met that day, and that was actually the 14th of March. I had the first date wrong. It was the 7th when we first started communicating. And, and, um, and we spent several hours together, and then we went back to our hotel room and woke up the next morning, and we're scheduled to drive back to Kansas City in the White Pearl. And, um, and Sherry gets up, and she goes, you know, this just isn't right. We can't leave. We have to stay and see what happens next. We have to stay. And so, you know, I was pre- we were prepared to stay. And as soon as we made that decision, then Jessica sends us an email and says, hey, can you guys do lunch? And so we, she picked out another loud restaurant in Charlottesville. <laughs> and uh, we went to lunch. And while we were sitting there, you know, I just, while we were sitting there, I said, you know, at some point, you know, I, we would like to meet the boys, you know. I mean, they got four boys. And uh, we would like to meet the boys. And. And Mr., you know, First Sergeant Retired Drill Instructor of the Year, Marine Corps, Leroy Strong, that's his name. I can't make that stuff up. And, uh, you know, who I'm, who I'm assuming when I meet him, he's like, that dude's packing. You know, I know he's packing. And uh, I wouldn't blame him either. But he goes, well, why don't you guys just go, you know, he's working in Charlottesville. And he goes, why don't you just guys just go back to southern maryland to the house and meet the boys and he's not going to be there so let me add to this right so leroy's working geographically separate from home he's about two hours from the house so my security-minded guy who has just heard with me all these horror stories 
one of his closest co-workers tells him a story about when he tr- when he met his dad for the first time that his dad stole his identity and that he had to have a restraining order because it was physically dangerous like they were going to move because of what it had been like so he has heard all of these stories and he's security minded and he's all of these things that dad has talked about and he says you should take him up to the house so clearly, Leroy's hearing something from God that I'm not hearing. Must have been something he was smoking. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I just had to throw that in there. Just, he doesn't do that. So we go and, uh, and get a hotel room up near their home. They live in southern Maryland. And, uh, and so I said, well, where should we meet? And Jessica goes, well, why don't you just meet us at the church? Because the boys are in youth group. And so Aaron is Jessica's son. Leroy has Matt and Seth, and uh, they're his sons that Jessica and Leroy raised together. And then they have Jacob, who is the youngest. Jacob's now 19. And, uh, and so we go, and we get in the parking lot of the church, and, and they pull in just as we pull in, and here comes Jacob. And him and Sherry are like instant. In trouble. Yeah, they get they have to call them down, shush them in church because they're like making too much noise, laughing. And uh, but I walk into the church to see my my grandson, who happens to be on stage playing guitar in the youth band. And uh, then we went back to the house to meet Matt and Seth, and uh, Matt is like you know. Matt Leroy is, Jr. He's what? He's Leroy Jr. Leroy Jr. And Seth is like, he's, uh, well, Seth is, you know, a Marine right now, you know, on his way to the Philippines to deploy. And, uh, and so they're like standing around going, who is this clown, you know? But by the end of the evening, they were calling us Pops and Grammy. And I could never imagine anything as wonderful. You know, I tell people, I I assumed my religious mind training, maybe theologically correct, with the exception of God is beyond theology. That the blessings of God applied to my life the moment I received Jesus forward. I never dreamed that God, who is not bound by time, would reach back into my past to a time where I didn't serve him or love him and say, I'm going to redeem this. And, and, and we're going through this process, and the Lord speaks to me and says, Jimmy, I promised I would be faithful to your seed, and I'm going to be faithful to your seed whether you are or not. And so... Just a few weeks later, on Easter Sunday in 2011, we were together and at Jessica's house, and we're getting ready to go to church for the first time together. And uh, she brings me a gift, and it's a uh, a coffee mug with daddy names all over it, and it's full of her favorite candy bar, Zero Candy Bars, which she doesn't know, but that's my favorite candy bar. 
So we discover all of these things that genetically are like, you know, I have no way of influencing her behavior, and yet she's got the goofiest personality in the world that she blames me for. It's you know, I don't fault. know where that comes if from. If he but. wasn't so ridiculous, I wouldn't act like this. And uh, and so we're talking, and you know, and and I'm a mess. I mean, 2011 was my year of crying. That's all I did. It's like you just. What's this I hear about your daughter? <laughs> you know, I'm crying so much for the macho man image. And, uh, and we're talking, and she puts her hands up on my face, and she describes our relationship. So everybody in the house is asleep, and it's really quiet. It's a little early. And I give him this gift, and he starts crying. And I look at him. And with all honesty and sincerity, it's like you were always here. So what God did in my heart is he took all of those things away and he replaced them with a physical manifestation of himself. With love and adoption, reconciliation, restoration, restoration. All of those things that were missing had permeated every area of my life. And in a moment, they were gone. And I had this. I have a daddy. I have another mom who treats me like I'm her own. The gifts continue. I don't have enough words to tell you and I don't have enough time to tell you about all the things that God continues to do through this, through this one act of saying yes to him. When, when I said that God goes beyond all that we could ask or think, it's true. And there are moments in our life when I just say he just shows off. You know, it's like, he just hauls off and goes. You just stand back and go, what was that? You know, I don't know, but I like it. And, uh, you know, since we've been telling this story for the last eight years, we've ran into so many people that have common stories like this. They'll say, well, I'm Jessica's mother. I'm Sherry. Or I'm Jessica. I'm you. I'm your daughter, you know, or, or whatever. And. It, we found that there's really one thing that keeps us separated. Well, two, unforgiveness and fear. And, and it's amazing in a crowd like this, there's maybe, I don't know, maybe 50, 100 people that have a similar story of separation. And, and we, we tell this story just to, to, to magnify God's greatness in our family, but to inspire you, that if that's you, if you have one of those names like Jessica said, orphaned, abandoned, unloved, that God has something for you. And if you're one of those people that need to forgive somebody like she needed, you know, like I needed her forgiveness, that you take the steps that it's necessary to forgive. We know that not every story is going to end up like ours, but we do know that at some point 
we have to be responsible for the pain that's in our own heart. And God is greater even than our hearts, the Bible says. And that when we forgive, it's an act that doesn't really involve the offender. It involves God and us. And to forgive in New Testament terms, it literally means to cut loose, to send away. And we take those things out of our heart and give them to God and they go away from us so that our hearts are clear and clean so that they're no longer filtered by this pain, but that they're replaced by his love for us. And if that's you today, if you're here today and you need to forgive or be forgiven or you need to receive forgiveness, then we want you to take those steps. We've heard countless stories of, of fathers who would come to us and say, you know, I haven't spoken to my kids in decades and it's my fault that I'm going to take the steps to ask for forgiveness and I'm going to humble myself. We've heard stories of countless children who... You know, one young man, we were in a service, and he came to me, and he, he said, you know, tomorrow is my 21st birthday. And I texted my mother during the service and told her what I wanted for my birthday. I want to meet my dad. So if you're here today and you need that, that, that opportunity, then we, wanna, we want you to take that opportunity and respond to it today. If you're here today and you say, and I just say, say this. I mean, this story compounds as such that I had love for Jessica. And at a point in time, she opened up her heart and I opened up my heart to receive and to give that love. And there's a father that loves us so much. You know, when we, when we as mankind really trash the planet, we did. I mean, the, the, all of the responsibility for the problems on planet Earth belong to us. I mean, we can't blame the devil because Jesus defeated the devil. We can't blame God because it's not his fault. It's our fault. And But God, you know, being God, he comes up with this crazy plan. And it's not to judge or to punish or to get vengeance on man. He comes up with this plan that only God could come up with. His plan is this, I'm just going to love them. I'm going to love them. And love is the indefensible strategy of heaven. The Bible tells us that it never fails. And God comes up with this plan and says, I have this plan that says I'm going to love them. And, you know, if you, like us, there was a time in our life where we hadn't experienced the love that God has for us in Jesus. And if you're here today and that's you, it's like, Man, this is the day for you to experience that. This is the day for you to open up your heart and receive the love that the Father has for you in Jesus. So can we do this together? Can we just stand up? You all have been sitting a while. we got a couple more things to do. Can we, just, can we just do this? Can we out of respect for one another and reverence for God? Can we just bow our heads and close our eyes? And let me ask you this. If you're here today and you say, you know what? I haven't received the love that God has for me, but I want to. If you're here today and you say, Jimmy, you know what? I'm just not sure. You know, I was baptized or sprinkled as a child or confirmed or went through catechism or whatever, but I'm just not sure I've experienced that love. Then I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. It's very simple. I just want to ask if that's you, if you're here and you say, you know what? I want to experience the love of the Father, all that Jesus has for me. 
then right now I want you to lift your hand and we're just going to pray right there where you're at. Is there anyone that says, I want to receive the love that God has for me? Because I haven't yet. Thank you, young man. Thank you, sir. Then right now, we're all going to take words and we're going to speak them to Jesus. The whole church, every one of us, let's say this. Say, Jesus, I come to you just as I am a sinner. And I want to experience your love for my life. I open my heart. I turn from my sin. I release it to you. And I ask you to make me a new creature. I want to know your love. I want to know the love of the Father. I want to experience your truth and follow you all the days of my life. Now let me pray for these that lifted their hand. Father, thank you so much for this moment. I ask, Lord, that you would open up each of these individuals, Lord, all of our hearts, to make us so aware of your, your brand mark on us, your stamp, your tattoo on our heart, Lord, that marks us by your love. Lord, that we might experience your love greater we might forgive and be those who are astute in the art of forgiveness. And Lord, that we might demonstrate the reality of how much you love us to everyone that we meet. Lord, may we follow you all the days of our lives. And we thank you for it, Father. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all so much for being here. Church Amen. isn't over quite yet, so don't, don't, don't run off. Going to invite you to be seated for just a moment, and uh, I'm going to have the ushers come back. We're going to receive an offering this morning for uh, Jimmy and his ministry. How many of you believe that this message needs to be heard? I mean, this is a work of God, and this message needs to be heard in America. So let's do our part to uh, to uh, bless them and send them on their way. Let's pray over the offering right now. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the, the power of redemption. We thank you for the power of transformation and the power of forgiveness. Lord, let us be doers of those words, not just hearers only. And Lord, we pray over Jimmy and Jessica and their message, their families, Lord God, that they would continue to take this message across America and around the world and help us to do our part to make sure they get there. Uh, we pray you bless this offering as we give it today in Jesus' name. Hey, if you're able to uh, do something, make a check payable to Lighthouse, or you can swipe your card at the back, if you will. Moms and dads, if you have kids in, uh, in Kids Club, would you just stand where you're at? The kids are in the back. They're going to join us for the next five minutes or so. We have some fun stuff we want to do, but uh, we want to make sure kids and parents get reunited right now. So can we do that? And uh, if uh, you're a mom or dad and, and you're in the balcony, we want to make sure you connect. Uh, so stand up where you're at so the kids can get where you're at. Uh, make sure they... Uh, get where they, they need to be. All right. Lighthouse reuniting families for the past 40 years. All right. Okay, so we have something fun that we're going to do here in just a second, and it involves guitars, and it involves, uh, 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 you know, a little hair. bit of a, little air guitars. And hair as well. And hair. Yeah. Hair and guitars. How can it not be good, right? Hair and guitars. So, Pastor Bernie, take it away. 
All right, so here's what I need. I have some guitar players in the house that like to shred. And if that's you, come on up and get in place. Now, I have uh, a few kids that were spoken to about, we feel like you would be really good at the air guitar. How many of you kids out there think you'd be really good at the air guitar? Do you? Taylor, you're playing a real guitar. You don't get to play air guitar. You have to play a real guitar. Okay, so if Pastor Sarah spoke to you already, then come on up. Wonderful, wonderful, okay. I, I have room for between six and eight kids. I've got one, two, three, go ahead, four. Sure, come on, I'd I'd, I, I feel like we need some ladies. Yes, come on, come on, yes, yes. Everybody can shred. And maybe we need a couple of girls that wanna just sing. If they don't wanna play the guitar, you can just sing. In a second here, we're gonna play uh, we're gonna have a moment where the guitar players can have some fun. How many of you guys want to hear one of the greatest guitar players in the world, like, really shred this morning? Is anyone besides me excited about that? I think it's gonna be really excellent. Okay, we're gonna play a little bit of the, the blues, uh, but we want to be clear that Jesus took our blues away, so we're not sad anymore, but he's, we have the opportunity to, to celebrate, right? Okay, I'm gonna put this guitar back on so we can play it. Where's my other guitar players? Come on up here, okay.
said you can't have fun in church? God, thank you for a message of restoration, and I thank you that we also can have fun because you've given us joy. Take us home safely to celebrate dads and continue to remind us how much forgiveness changes everything. We love you. Thank you so much for being you in us. In your name we pray. Amen.